Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 3.0 of Documentation Not Included. The support and dev, the symbiotic relationship. My name is Josie. We're here with Patrick and Chris, as always, and we are joined especially today by someone named Ed. Hello. Oh. You know, I that just, was quite a sigh. Thanks. That, that was. No, it wasn't for you. I've actually, because we had a few technical difficulties just before we started the stream. And uh, I'd, unfortunately, the windows are in the wrong place. So I'm just going to have to move them around. Uh, it was all perfect as well. And then I had to look in some sound settings and it all went wrong. For, but... for those who are listening and they are not watching the video, Josie felt very inadequate for the past few episodes. So mm. she finally grew a beer. And what a magnificent beard it is. It's uh, now I feel inadequate. It looks uh, it looks very soft. It it is so soft. That is, I want a pepper. Good one, that. It just feels like silk. You you look a lot more friendly, I'll tell you. <laughs> Do I look approachable? <laughs> you look approachable. A lot of people Do don't. Do I look think... like I could solve your developer problems? Yes, yes. You look like a fine dwarfish woman. I would expect you to offer me like an ale or a spirit. Uh, however, I don't have the accent for dwarves. Ed? You say you're Satan, my race. <laughs> race? The Scots. Is it, is it a race? Is race? Is Are Scottish race? people a race? Sorry, I'm talking about goths here, not. So yes, everybody. We... Every way you can. Thanks for that. Today we oh, have yes. we have Ed Orr joining us, as you can see, and he is um, a support guy, a support specialist. Monkey. Yes, and that's what I was sure about. And uh, basically, we're going to we're going to be drilling him a little bit. I'm going to be asking some questions, figuring out what he's uh, what he does at work, what he does, and why. And, and I think what I'm most interested to find out from from Ed as a support mm. guy and hopefully yeah. as I mean, not as someone i haven't worked with so i don't you know we've got no we've got nothing to uh kind of limit out our conversation what do you think of developers you work you work with developers on a daily basis don't you yeah so obviously i'm i'm not going to say the name of my employer um but i work with a massive enterprise scale environment and work with a large um cross border organization that deal in finance one of the biggest technological companies within their within their remit uh, within their finance remit um, and we have a, a range of users within our, our user base everything from um, technology support engineers um, server engineers uh, management client services um, asset servicing uh, and developers, we have a great deal of developers. Everything from everything from your your Java to your web-based development um, languages, through to people who are working on um, bespoke APIs to pull finance data from systems that I can't really get into too much, but. Basically, you know, putting APIs on top of archaic systems. Um, so it's a massive range of stuff. Everything from your everything from your DevOps to your uh, to your near future AI algorithms. Uh, basically, it's it's a complete. It's interesting day to day. It can be everything from how do I turn this on through to we have to we have to get this this email uh, this 
Email's gone down, for example, across uh, a large part of an, an organization. So are you segmented in teams then? I know we've actually just straight jumped yeah. jumped into this. Normally we have an icebreaker and all we kinds of stuff. Yeah, we haven't I've, had an icebreaker question. Uh, oh. yeah, we, we know who it is. It's fine. Let's go. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you... In fairness, like in fairness, this is pretty much the podcast equivalent of what happens on a daily basis. <laughs> you, you walk in, your jacket's still on. Quick question. I actually, you know, I have to go. How do you people with beards deal with this? I have hair already in my mouth. <laughs> it's and constantly I'm sitting falling here out. Like, uh, uh, I'm like, uh, uh. you know, this has to come off. Just plot the thing, Josie. Oh, I wish I could. Now, there you go. Now I've got a chin beard. Yeah. No, when, I, when I en when I enter this sort of hermit mode of, of crunch and I let myself go and I start having moustache and all of that stuff, um, you know. Um, I just tend to munch on it, like in frustration. <laughs> when I'm when I'm working on something, like it, and it's actually kind of nice feeling. So we've all got our own little. I used to suck my thumb until I was about sixteen or seventeen. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know I was on podcast with a beard muncher. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We so what we'll do, we'll, we'll sneak in a quick little icebreaker yeah, question. Sorry. For, for those of you who, don't, who haven't seen Josie before or, or Ed, uh, they used to work together on a, a podcast many years ago. In fact, it was the one we've mentioned a few times, the MMO buff uh, one. So yes, go on, Josie, way, way give us the day. icebreaker. All right, your icebreaker question. Yes. What is your favorite color and why? You really need to ask me what my favorite color was black because I'm a big old goth at heart, right? There we go. Plus, you know, colors are a bit too much for someone like me. <laughs> yeah, but it's black a color. It's on the spectrum, so yeah. Well, apparently, I've heard somewhere I can't remember where it was now, but white and black aren't colors. I would I would go by the artistic classification. I would say that there are absolutely colors. Yeah, I mean, I would. Do you have to? If you have to pay for toner, it's a color. <laughs> okay, you know, so white he's isn't not a color. wrong. No, white is a color. Oh, you see, but I, I would say if it's got a hex code, it's a color. Oh, but well, or an RGB value. But then again, <laughs> white doesn't have an RGB value, does it? Of course, it does. Zero. One, one, one. No, oh, zero is it one? Is, is it one? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's one 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 because it's the luminescence. Noob. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not the uh, graphics guy. <laughs> okay, guys. What about your colors? Go on, Pat. Um, there used to be one, but it now uh, like there used to be one, and now it's uh, overwhelmed by the hot pink of a missing or a shad shadow error. <laughs> it's basically the shadow error pink that you have in whatever graphics engine, wherever you fuck something up, and that's the color I see on a daily basis. Seven minutes. Seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> A We're good actually job keeping track of how long it takes before Patrick drops his very oh. first fuck bomb. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, I, I, I didn't realize that that was we all go for it bombs. <laughs> well, we're on and off. It's a professional podcast, but we don't mind. You know, we're not. Uh... Yeah, it's we we accept the fact that yeah. that Patrick. Um, that's one of the very first words he learned yeah. from English. So. I think it was the first word. Actually. But that's the case with most languages we learn, isn't it? I I know mm. almost all the French swear words. I know quite a lot of Hungarian swear words, but I don't know much Hungarian. <laughs> well, I'm sure that will help you when you need to go to the toilet in Hungary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what about you, Chris? Color? Uh, my favorite color is red, and I, just always has been. I've got no real reason for it. I, I don't know. 
What a surprise, considering your background. Yeah, well, that's why I, I paused then. I was waiting for somebody to say something. It's, it's maroon, though, this colour, to be honest. I, I figured that you would note that fact, so just <laughs> didn't, didn't go for that trap. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I have literally no idea why my favourite colour is red. I, maybe Superman's underpants when I was a kid. I don't know, maybe... No, the white no, no child should be in Superman's underpants. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we ended up in Superman's underpants. Wow. <laughs> I mean, what kind of person wears underpants on top of pants? Is... Superman. Wait, it's perfectly wait, acceptable wait, if you can break wait, someone in two with your eyes. All the things to worry about, you're worried about the order of Superman's wearing is... Wear, and, and we've got children. Somebody think of the children. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and... keep, me, uh, keep me awake at night. And wow. Josie, your favorite color. I actually have a palette. I can't have one of these colors without the other really present. I am the, I am, I'm the difficult one. Yep. I like black, white, and incredibly shocking in your face, hot pink. However, if you really want to make me smile, put skulls on it. That's Are you evil? Color. I am not evil. No. <laughs> I just have, there's something about the macabre side of skulls and death mixed with something bright like pink and black and white. I just love that it's, if I could have my house painted that way, my husband of course won't let me, but if I could have my house painted that way, I would. What is the point of having owning your own house? Uh, well, if you, if you can't, if you can't screw it up with trying colors. to sell it, if you put glitter all over the walls or something, that's what, this is what my wife actually wants to do to our house: is cover it in rainbows and glitter. Okay, glitter is no glitter is glitter is glitter is the bane. Uh, no, no, that, that will just kill your eyes. Like anything, mm. high saturation and high brightness, it just makes you wanna gouge your eyes. Over extended period of time. She, she's That's also cool. into skulls herself. My wife. She she loves uh, sugar sugar skulls and uh, anything. I mean, some of her favorite jewelry is. Uh, All you need like to that. do is find the right market. You yeah. find the right person, they'll have it like that. You know, he's not wrong. And with that particular discussion about skulls, yeah. let's move into support and development in the symbiotic relationship. Therefore, within us. Yeah. English. So I will learn to speak it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually going to start with a question. Go on. Now, we, uh, as developers, we don't always think about the end result, a.k.a. after we've done everything. Uh, I don't say it like that because I know Chris plans for everything. Chris is perfection I when it comes to development. Perfection. So he, he plans for everything. So most of the time when we're developing, we're worried about features. We're worried about making certain that the platform does exactly what it needs to do, etc. Then we end up having to hand it off for either someone else to support or passing it on to a client or what have you. Do you have any pet peeves, Ed, when you get handed a new product to support or a product at all? You're like, hey, this is what you've got to help support. Do you have a pet peeve? Yeah. Um, well, I have a number of issues with um, being handed products to support, but the most common one is that being handed a product to support is a total curveball. So, um, so the thing, the thing about development is um, that developers, in my experience, tend to work within their own silo. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the, some of the biggest failings, especially with large organizations, is their larger scope and things like their, like their development framework and their service delivery framework and how that all knits together. So support engineers don't generally tend to get a lot of heads up um, that they're going to have to support something, especially if they're not bespoke attached to 
any sort of development process. And the way that we have uh, managed solutions um, and uh, services being, as I say, managed um, in large organizations and client service uh, style organizations is that we don't tend to find the, the development process of anything that's of any sort of scale, in fact, and smaller scale stuff comes with a, a long-term support input um, from the get-go. Um, support and support management, problem management um, and resolution always tends to come in later in the day, um, especially from my experience. What that means is that we basically have to juggle stuff um, are you because, aware? Are you aware yeah. of the software delivery life cycle? You know, you know what that yeah. is. You've heard of the term, and, and, and yeah, and entirely. And and while you might, and while while the software delivery life cycle is great, there's there's the concept and there's the reality. The yeah. reality of the situation is that you rarely get the reality of the situation is with large scale projects, you either have so many working parts that the software delivery life cycle is is a great thing to shoot for, but you've then got support engineers and support teams that are working on a number of other things at the same time. And there either isn't the resource or my or project management don't have the the scope to be able to pull support into that life cycle before you actually get to near the end, at which point you're just basically throwing a curveball at support and going, right, uh, here's some documents. Good luck, guys. Thanks. So, so we know the the, the SDLC is a, is a circular process. We start at planning and we go all the way around to maintenance mm. and support. So I imagine the reason that support gets left until the very end is because of that, because it is the last thing on the on the cycle. You don't need support until you've got, this is where the symbiotic relationship comes in. You don't need mm. support until you've got software, but the well, software developers need support desperately when they so they can continue to develop their products or add features. I think how those two teams work together is very important. And I've worked with great support teams. I've worked with terrible support teams. I've worked with terrible developer teams that are awful with support and have a them and us attitude. And it's a it's a hideous place to be or a hideous kind of environment to be in. But it does, some companies do unfortunately breed that culture. Maybe it's, in, I know it's not intentional, but maybe, you know, that's what needs to be addressed in a lot of places, in a lot of instances rather. Well, I think it's a challenge that you've got that, it's a challenge that you've got, although I've um, picked on large-scale organizations, it's a it's a challenge that developers have even uh, when they're small because the software delivery life cycle isn't, uh, it can be difficult for you to necessarily meet all your goals within that and deliver something um, when you've got a lack of resources. Absolutely. If you are, if you're one, if you're a couple of people, that are working on something and your aim is to get something out the door what time have you got to be able to sit down and go right we need to do this and we need to do this this is going to be a deadline for getting this out and think about the support process rather than just getting it out the door and then going to someone like say a managed service vendor and going right uh we need a support contract and then working back once it's out the door because at the end of the day as a small developer you it's it's common sense that you need to get some you need to get a deliverable out the door to get money in to be able to continue to well, live. All, so, all of it's it important. That was actually, uh, that was actually a, a question that I was going to ask you uh, for mm. for smaller teams that yeah. they may not have they either don't have in-house support team 
or mm. they cannot afford them yet because they're early in the development cycle. Uh, so other than having a, a support uh, developer having an input and being able to help during the development to make the best case product, yeah. do you have any sort of tips for oh, people yes. developing right now that could save the support a lot of headache? Yeah, sort of I mean... Let's be honest, what I'm going to say here is absolutely common sense and it's not particularly difficult, um, but and it's fairly high level. So how much help it's going to be, you can argue either way. But documentation, I mean, seriously, um, if you're talking about from a code base level, then uh, clear commenting, good documentation, it's it all helps. Seriously, it's it's like night and day having to... I've had I've had to sit and go I've had to sit and in previous organizations I've had to sit and troll through troll through code that's just um, for uh, running on a DevOps sort of environment and troll through scripting that's just that's just horrendous and it took it takes days to get through and find out what problem is because you've got to uh, you've got to re sit there and understand what's going on before you can even try an attempt to create test case to work out what's uh, breaking things. Um, documentation's so key in terms of if you're just if you have to literally just throw something at a support team and go right there you go um, clear documentation is is great it won't necessarily help the people that are that you would consider to be first line or maybe even second line support engineers but if you've got a support team that are working at a level where these people should be able to understand what you're talking about then good documentation clear code base is always going to be key for you so let's just briefly talk about what you consider good documentation mm -hmm. and what you consider good commenting. Let's talk about the commenting first. Um, I've, mm -hmm. I've obviously developed my own opinions on this over the years, working with lots of different people, and all of us have talked about this before as well. Mm -hmm. In terms of commenting, are you on the side of comment everything, absolutely everything, or, or only comment the really complicated parts or, or just comment the stubs? What, have you got what, what kind of – what would help you? What's the best – so, so bear in mind that as if you're developing commenting for a support team again, gotta understand that you don't know who's going to be reading that and to what level they're going to be able to understand what your uh, what your commenting is. So, if you are in a situation where you don't know who your support team are going to be, then realize that you're going to have to create commenting based on that. Um, so, for example. At a functional level, you know, uh, commenting what, what, uh, say you have a procedure, um, you comment, comment that to tell a support engineer what it's going to do and what it's going to bring in and out of that. So that if I need to, if I don't necessarily know what that, what that procedure call is going to do, what I can know is what it should do, what it should bring, what it's, what its actual function is, and what the output is supposed to be. So I can copy paste that and take that away. And check what it's it's doing correctly. It doesn't need to be, uh, it doesn't need to be everything, but it needs to be enough that if you don't know who's going to be looking at that, that you can hope that they will be able to go. Well, this is supposed to give me this. So if it doesn't give me this, then something's wrong. If they don't understand what's going on with that at that point, then they can pass it over to you or a support engineer that can they can work through it and fix it. It mm -hmm. depends again. On the scope of what your support team is going to know and what they're expected to do, and, and that, I, I mean, I would say I would say commenting on um, 
the, the high level, at least mm -hmm. on the, I said, the stubs at the class level, at the uh, methods, that kind of level, and mm -hmm. commenting in, with business, in business speak as well. So whatever mm -hmm. business domain you're in, for me, it's not about explaining that this code does this and we iterate through this list and when we do that, that's completely useless to anybody because if you're a developer, you know it's doing that because you can read it. And if you're mm -hmm. a support guy, you couldn't care less about that. You know, it's not it's not interesting to you. It's not helping you in any way. And you do mm -hmm. get developers that over comment. You get people who say, return null, return null. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it happens and I've seen it all over the place. Do you know yeah. what kicked me out of that habit? What? Like, when I first started uh, in the world of programming, uh, I commented everything because I learned through the philosophy of, <laughs> of algorithms, right? I needed to know what it was I was trying to do. So I did yeah. pseudocode. And from the pseudocode, I left the pseudocode in there because I needed to know. I got trained completely out of that methodology when I discovered that there are actually tools inside of a lot of different developer environments that will auto print out commenting in a form of documentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I started going, oh, this is really cool. Let me just run this and see. And I just sitting there going, why? This is foreign language. And that actually trained me out of being overly zealous in the coding side of things. I also throw out there, I mean, if you're going to write a function or a method, call it what it is. Don't try to name it something like super secret fancy code. There's nothing worse than a do this method. <laughs> or a do this or store the value variable. What? Just <laughs> learn how to code. Dry guys, you know. Anyway. Jesus, uh, the variable named X is the bane of my existence. Well, we use X quite a lot for shorthand, things like lambda expressions, where we're saying X is the object that we've just already referenced. But yeah, other than that, I agree yeah. that the variable Where should be. I wrote a variable um, today. I'll paste it into chat in, um, in a minute. It's just to store a string, a constant string, and it, mm -hmm. it must have spanned my screen twice. It was that long, the name of it. It was ridiculous because <laughs> it was a very complicated um reason for using this string and i don't normally do that i'm usually very concise but it was ridiculous it's slightly excessive and, and it was I'm, ridiculous I'm, I'm the one who makes sort of like very long variable names i guess i can blame my enterprise java background which really trains you into ridiculous long variable names but still i prefer that than just like a b c d e f g and i saw that a lot so mm -hmm. Well, you, you mentioned comments and uh, documentation there. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think we can we can basically understand that documentation is going to be again written in a business sense, written in a this is what it's supposed to do and why we're doing it this way. Yeah, there's different levels of documentation as well as another. We've Indeed. got developer documentation, which is highly technical and again goes yeah. into the detail of all of the setup and all of what this script does. This this that you know all of that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. then you've got the this software does this and then you've got user guides as well which somebody <laughs> well, else usually writes the developers certainly do not get technical involved in that. documentation is a beast unto itself oh, it I love really it. is you so, you are so weird <laughs> yeah, I, I love i love documentation i love etl processes i love moving data massive bits of data from place to place i don't know why i just like it <laughs> yeah, I love it too. Like most of the documentation, for example, for, for ShaderForge in, in Unity is very high level. And it's very useless for me because I know I want to know how exactly the numbers are manipulated when so, I'm using the function. So here so here's the thing. Mm -hmm. From from a support perspective, what you want to know, bend that. That <laughs> that 
that is useless to support engineers unless you got a, unless you have a, a third tier support engineer that is a pseudo developer hmm. then that is that is useless from a when you're providing documentation especially when you are especially when you're a developer that's creating documentation that and again you don't know and the majority of the time you're not going to know who your support engineers are you've got to assume that you are starting at a uh, a user base level and that your first tier engineer needs to know um, what's going on. I write a fair amount of documentation for for both users and for first maybe 1.5 line um, support engineers and the thing you've got to understand is that a lot of the time um, first line support engineers are as clueless as to what something's going to be doing as the user are. In fact Half the time, the user knows what something's doing more than the first-line engineer does because they've been given it to test by the, their line of business, say, or their manager who's decided to buy something, and then somewhere down the line, in practical terms, then a service desk is um, is either given details or they are employed. So half the time, the user knows better than the first-line or 1.5-line engineer. Bend your high-level documentation when it comes to that front-line stuff what you need to do is be able to provide enough instruction that someone who is literally a button is button clicking knows what buttons to click. That's that's the level you have to start with and then move from there. When you if you can only provide the most limited amount of documentation, do the stuff that you're pitching for the first line engineers, the people that take the call, because anyone who's anyone who's a second or up line support engineer they're gonna have hopefully have enough in the cranium that they're gonna be able to work out what's going on, or they'll have seen some, or they'll know how to use Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you gotta love that. So um, the answer to everything is just use Google. Slack Exchange, it'll be fine. One other thing that you haven't mentioned, and I'm not, not every company practices this, um, yeah. is test-driven development. Now. Mm -hmm. You guys obviously won't get involved with the actual tests that are written. Um, I'm mm -hmm. assuming you understand what unit unit and integration tests are, uh, mm -hmm. the difference between them. Um, mm -hmm. What we what we tend to do when we write tests as developers, if you run a test driven development environment, is that tests should be written in a self documenting way as well. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to know, for example, this particular variable or this property on this object, what 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 are the acceptable values for it when you're passing it into an API or something to that effect. There will be, or there should be, if there, there there are tests, there should be tests there that will say, must be greater than zero, must be um, must not be null, mm. you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then at mm -hmm. least you know what the code's supposed to do. Now that's self-documenting for developers mostly, but do you guys use that? And if you do, has it been useful to you when ever? To be honest, we don't tend to get involved in that level okay. of that level of support. So what we tend what we tend to find is that a lot of what so a lot of what I do day to day involves if we're getting to if we're getting to that stage of um, of products that need to be supported, they're either going to they're either going to a vendor or they're going essentially to the development team at that point, and then the development team are going to be are going to be tasked with part of the support process. Um, right. So you'll find that in large scale, uh, again, this happens a lot in large scale environments is that, and you probably find that it happens a lot with small developers is that your, your developers are you, 
they they're kind of your pseudo support teams as well. Um, so they'll have they would task to do a lot of that. So when you get to when you get to third line, if I'm having to go into bespoke systems code, then there's something wrong at that point because it's going to take me longer. The code that I will be getting into will be things that will be considered to be DevOps level, um, rather than uh, your rather than bespoke application code. Um, so I will tend to manage that process um, at that point. So if it's not something that functionally we can get our hands into, then that will be passed on. Um, so there's a lot to be said for uh, service management uh, when it comes to that and having an understanding of where your lines of support start and end. Um, and it, you'd be surprised how much a, a business doesn't understand that. Absolutely. But, and you'd be surprised how you'd be surprised how much, as well, developers don't necessarily understand that as well. You got to understand where, uh, at what point your line of support is going to stop and go. Right, guys, we don't know what we're doing here. We need we yeah. need your help. So and, you, you mentioned first and second line support. Have you? Yeah. Uh, I've worked with teams with one mm -hmm. set of developers who have been sorry, one set of support guys who've been developers themselves and the, yeah. that is basically what they do it depends mm. entirely on the business uh, setup really yeah. and then we have first line second line third line support engineers all have different skills and again first line i'm assuming because i don't really know the definition and it does change um again across companies but first line i'm assuming is the least technical they essentially answer the phones and get the information in fact you tell mm -hmm. me you tell me what 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 you do in your company or or companies you work for so many companies i've so many companies i've worked for um as uh, scott was saying in chat as most companies that are of any sort of size should be running with um run with the iso framework i mean they absolutely it, need to yeah. sorry I, <laughs> I was gonna bring that up i didn't want to interrupt you with the questions but yeah i was gonna mention that scott asked by the way hi scott <laughs> hello scott um yes. but no, in fairness, um, in fairness, any organization that I've worked for has always tried to at least move towards an ITO framework. It's it's common sense, right? You don't, you don't, it, it works. Essentially, from a support process, you wouldn't really want to use any other sort of process. It just works. And the fact of the matter is it allows you, um, it allows you to be able to document and move those tickets on. But from a personal experience, what tends to happen within roles that I've been in is that we have we have that ticketing system. You have the first line. You get things. You get things logged. First line is a fairly malleable process, and that like although you can log a ticket, that first line team can know nothing. They can literally be. They can literally pick up the phone, or they can have some level of technical competence. Um, and that that shifts. Um, where I stand is I probably stand at a stage where I can. Uh, I would say, from a technical standpoint, I'm I'm somewhere around a weird amalgamation of what you consider to be second slash third line with some level of project service vendor management nonsense going on. I have just I am what you would consider at this point to be the IT generalist. I have bet my my fingers in so many pies it's ridiculous yeah. but, but there are a it, lot of hats <clears throat> yeah there indeed. are a lot of hats and as a support guy again you're kind of expected to 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 be able to move between those hats quickly as a mm. developer you are as well though well the, the, the biggest piece of advice i'll give anybody if you're in development make friends with support 
And if you're support, make friends with developers. Absolutely. Then you could you actually start hearing things coming down the pipeline. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to point out that Am Samska, hi Am Samska from Canada, who works at a pretty big company as well, who understands how complicated things can get. Uh, mm -hmm. They pointed out um, I've worked at numerous places where teams ended up siloed. Things get flung all over the wall. Yeah. Service gets released. It's no longer the devs' problem. It's now the ops' problem. And Scott also continued by saying service design is incredibly important. Um, yes. ITIL is one of those really interesting things that I didn't know about until I actually moved here to the United Kingdom many years ago. Um, ITIL, uh, my husband actually got uh, ITIL certified. And I was learning what ITIL is. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, can you explain? To the, 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 we've used that acronym a lot of times. I know what it is, but feel free. <laughs> <laughs> or I've heard of it, rather. I don't really get involved in it, but, you know. The, at the least, I'll give the kind of basic explanation that my husband gave me. Because again, because for me, it was one of those, what is this ITIL thing? Why are you certified in it? That kind of a thing. But then again, my husband DevOps and does crazy weird things. Um, the way he explained it to me is it is a sort of a set of guidelines for handling events and issues that occur. Mm -hmm. And it is a sort of structured format, everything from the moment it gets reported to the moment that you close a ticket. Right. It is an entire framework and process to ensuring that you have the engagement of the right people, that you're sort of following almost the SDLC, but like for support. And the thing that he told me, which made him snicker, was mm -hmm. it's common sense. But for some reason, mm -hmm. it had to be turned into a framework for it to be noticed. So common the thing sense is a support of our. So, I think it, you'll know so the thing about ISO for, so I didn't. I didn't want to get too deep into it because I didn't necessarily know how much scope developers see of the ITIL process and how much you've got. But um, ITIL certification is extremely common within, um, let's call it service delivery, because that is what support is, is service delivery, right? Mm -hmm. and, and ITIL, I have, so within, within my current organization, it has always been the goal that everyone that comes on at first line when they step in the door um, is to be ITIL certified at its most, at its foundation level. So you understand both how the organization should deliver a service to its clients. And that's the thing about the ITIL framework is, um, is that it is all about delivering a key service and keeping that service running. It is a cyclical process, essentially, that has five uh, components to it. Um, and yes, I am reading these uh, this bit off of Google because while you, well, it's common sense, I want to get this right and in the right order. Um, so it's service strategy, design, transition, operation, and you've got continual service improvement. Now, what that basically means is how are you going to plan how are you going to do it? How are you going to support it? And how are you going to fix stuff when it goes wrong? Um, mm. that's essentially, what it means. Um, so it's all about like we've talked about documentation. That's the you know that's the bit of how you. That's the before bit. The bit that support tends to center around is operation and continual service improvement. So that's mm. like end. Ironically, the end of the ISO process, which again the end of SDLC support basically just get their end. I get the end all the time, um, and it all comes down to when stuff goes wrong, what happens, and where does development um, or developers come into that? And far too often within organisations in general, you've got this idea of ISO, but development are kind of almost 
siloed um, and they can be throwing stuff um, when after stuff's gone wrong or if stuff's going wrong, but maybe don't have a good view as to where they are within um, the ITIL process. And it's the kind of, like we were saying, it's the common sense thing of you have something happen, you call the service desk, you get to level one, you, you log a ticket and tell them what's happening. Level two, who are a bit more competent, if it's still going on, will give you, you know, will come back to you. They'll find out what's wrong. If they can fix it, they can fix it. These things get logged. And then once, then over time, you have reporting mechanisms. If they can't, and those reporting mechanisms should be fed to development as there might be something going on here. What's this? And that's part of what's called pros. So that's, um, uh, so you've got prob uh, problem management as well as reporting and that. Uh, there's a whole swathe of things. But basically, what you're getting out of ITIL is you should be getting an idea if ITIL is implemented properly as to what's going wrong and then what's the situation and why is it, you know, why is it going wrong? Can we fix this and make it better? So you have a retrospective of some sort. You... Yeah, a good way to look at it is just like when we do, you know, the cyclical side of development, when we're testing out on it, we pull out a feature, we're doing our tests, we then see if it works. And then if not, we keep iterating. The key thing that I get from at least what he's, you Ed, and my husband mm -hmm. told me about how ITIL works is by the end, of your ticket. You should not just know what occurred. The root cause analysis has been yes. done. You know how to fix it. It has hopefully been fixed or it's been yeah. kicked up to the next level of, um, you know, now we this actually needs to be pushed into a development for a feature or something else has to be handled. Mm -hmm. But you also should know and have a running, I love this, documentation mm -hmm. of what happened so that you can go back and if ever you run into an issue, uh, I don't know, pull up Confluence if you use Confluence or, or Notion if you use Notion, whatever it is that you use to store your documentation, um, you can go back and you can say, oh, this happens. We are seeing the same problem occurring, say, every third Thursday of a month. Mm -hmm. So yeah. obviously something else might be the real root cause behind it. So we can actually start developing a bigger picture mm -hmm. of what's really going on. So, and that could be that could be that that could easily be a code thing. That could ease. It could be. It could be that there's a process running somewhere that's chewing up that's chewing up memory on a server. That's gonna that's then impacting the fact that you the 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 code could be. Uh, it could be. It could be impacting the amount of code. Uh, sorry, the amount of memory that something's taken up. You might crash out a program. It could be the fact uh, the prob the fix to that might be as simple as upgrading a server. It might be it might be more complicated. It it could be a million things that could go wrong. But the fact is that you know that it's reoccurring, and if it's reoccurring, there's potential that you can go. You can reach out to everyone involved and go right. We need to come together and do some, and do some root cause analysis on this, and then work forward from there. It's and that's about the con again the continual service improvement, um, both from a, both from a support perspective that they can see that there's something going wrong there, and then they can improve the service they're providing, but also the product that you're providing to an end business can then be improved upon as well. It's mm. really it's a it's a sort of it's a sort of cycle that can spiral off, and it's um, well, it's well, it's common sense. There are so many layers to that ISO process that you could literally go through a whole show just explaining it. Mm. 
or each individual part of it. It's like the same yeah. thing when you start getting into project management and all of the different mm. belts that so you can get. It's it's insane. Every every um, area of the development lifecycle has its own framework. I, I have a, again, I've have heard of ITIL. Never really needed to get involved with it that t too much, apart from being a developer that's usually hands over mm. to support and some and then works with them when there's a problem or there's any bugs. Mm -hmm. um, there's TOGAF if you're a, a technical architect, which is a, a framework that doesn't just cover mm. actually doing the work. It covers things like principles and values and the objectives of the business and what you're actually, you know, it, it tells you a lot more about what an architect's job is than than you think go, goes into it, you know. Is it like part of this like ethical development something, something that I heard recently? Because that's what? that's apparently a thing. Like, um, so from what I understand, there's been recently a push because, um, so Google got in, sidetracking, sorry. Uh, Google got involved with develop me, developing a special version of their search, en uh, search engine for China, which will be heavily censored with government reporting and all those wonderful totalitarian things. And uh, a lot of people quit Google because of that, because mm -hmm. they don't feel like building tools for oppression of citizens. Mm. So essentially, the um, the ethical development is sort of that, like, don't build kill bots. And, you know. Well, there's, <laughs> there's an argument to say that anything that you put out there can be used in a negative way, you know. Um, it mm. depends on the intention of the business. It's I've, I've worked for gambling companies and because I had to, because money, you know, I needed money. It, it's simple as that. I, I wouldn't normally do that. It's not, it's against what I believe in, but it's beside the point. Um, I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where the, the ethical um, thing comes into this. I'm, uh, yeah. Well, I, it, I it's, it's a, there's, okay. there is a methodology and a framework behind yeah. That is, is really where we were coming from with that, because, um, yeah, sorry, I just have to, to comment. Rusty Red had um, stated yeah, retrospective and idealistic communication with the perspective of the resources key, and I believe Josie sure. agrees. Yes, Josie firmly agrees. And as Ed pointed out, this is one of the key things. When you talk, you're not talking to be heard, you're talking to be understood. Hmm. It's the same thing with documentation. Hmm. You're not putting something down just so that you can vomit all over a page. You're putting something down so that someone can pick that page up in the future and use it as a resource, you know, use you, it I, as a key or something like that. That word keeps coming back to me all the time, that one that you uh, mentioned before we started uh, the stream, Josie, Sonder. Every I love the concept of Sonder. That word comes up to comes up so often in my in my brain at least. Now I know it exists, it explains so much of, of how I feel and how I think about the world. Um and uh, I I'll, I'll explain it and hopefully Josie will confirm that this is the definition of it. But Sonder's it. Well, I, I can was, actually read you the definition of it. It was coined in two thousand twelve or something, wasn't it? And it was um Well the dictionary of obscure shadows created Sonder. And Sonder is a fantastic word. Now, the Dictionary of Obscure Shadows, if you guys aren't aware, it's kind of a slight sojourner from what we're kind of talking about. But it creates words for things that don't have words yet. And the way they define Sonder is the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness, an epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed, in which you might appear only once mm -hmm. as an extra sipping coffee in the background as a blur of traffic passing on the highway 
as a lighted window at dusk. So I think I love that word. The, the, that, is, that word is everything. The TLDR of that is other people exist and realize that their lives are as complicated as yours. You know, it's and that's why I, the reason I bring that up is that there is there is this culture of of developers yeah they're siloed they're usually stuck in their own little world and they do their own thing and then when other people try and interfere with that process flow or that world they do get a little bit defensive and and go well that's not my job oh well, that's that should be that should be support who do that it it doesn't help anybody and the same goes for when we're writing documentation work with other people work with the support guys figure out what they need so they mm -hmm. don't have to come and bother you every five minutes it's your fault that they're doing that you know a lot of the time and talk the, the, mm -hmm. it goes down to to talking i mean yeah there is as ed said at the very 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 beginning of the show there is nothing worse than being handed a project or a product to support and just being told so you're taking this over today and you now need to support it on an 18 month cycle bye 1500 users uh, bye and <laughs> you and you're just sitting there going what I, i'm so lost uh, Rusty Red adds, uh, trust me, I've been to Russian, uh, Japan, Czech Republic, and even England. The only thing they have in common is they have a valuable resource that matters in all this. Development, communication, even money, sadly but true. It's a lost resource in the last few decades. People. Talking people. Mm. And that's uh, that actually... Empathy, compassion, even. Yeah, now this actually kind of silos back to something that I've been meaning to throw in. Um, hopefully won't get us too much farther in a rabbit hole, but so this is something that I know, rabbit hole. Um, uh, well, so, we'll just have to have you back to dig even deeper. So, or dig me out of the hole. If I just keep going, yeah, <laughs> it'll be fine. Um, so, here's the thing. Something that, something that Chris said about um, developers being um, siloed, it happens, it happens a fair amount. Now, that's not necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing if you open lines of communication. It's and, required to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that is that is fine. Um, what you do find though is that understand that the support teams that you have in place, however good those support teams are, however well documented you have something, however robust your code is, at the end of the day, they're delivering a service to an end user base, right? And they are at the behest of that end user base. Um, however far up the support chain is, they generally, as a general rule, have to make themselves available to that end user base. Whether that's the third, like I say, whether it's the second or third line engineer, they have to speak to an end user who could be, you don't see it, they could be one person, they could be the head of a line of business, they could be the chairman of a large multinational organization that has just decided he's had a really bad day and the sport engineer needs to get it fixed whatever whatever it is and you might be having three point you might be having a shit day hmm. i would you yeah. would off wherever you are at the moment you deal with uh, politics and developers don't yeah. deal with politics generally hmm? That, that's a debate unto a show okay. in itself. Yes, but, but yes. generally that is, that's one of the reasons they get siloed is that there's a lot of work to do and they need to do. I'm not trying to defend because I, I know exactly mm -hmm. the kind of developer and the development teams and they said the culture and this kind of structure. I'm aware mm -hmm. of this existing and I do my utmost not to be like that when I'm in those situations, but you can't help it sometimes because of policy and bureaucracy and everything mm -hmm. else that goes uh, with big organizations. Yeah, but there is yeah. there is a very simple and um, very simple cure to getting siloed, and it's it's so easy that I'm a constant uh, uh, constantly evangelizing uh, at it. 
understand where you are sitting in the development cycle and at least try to show some sort of curiosity about the person behind you and the person ahead of you. So like, what are you getting and what are you delivering later? Because there are like time and time again, I saw issues which grew so much that like mountains out of uh, anthills that didn't have to be if you had the faintest idea that for the guy next to you, that's like a breeze. For the guy, or for the guy beho- uh, behind you, and just little bit of knowledge, little bit of understanding, communication, as we said. You know, it's interesting. Uh, in, uh, we're pretty much coming to the end of our show, where we'll be ducking into RTFM shortly. But um, there's something that they do here, at least in the UK, that again I didn't know about until I got to the UK, and it's something called secondment. It's where you're basically shipped off to a completely different part of the company to learn about what it is they do with usually a potential to transfer. And uh, I think it, it should be something. You should be forced to sit in the shoes of someone who is doing some other job so you can kind of get an understanding for it. Because I could sit here all day, Chris, and I could tell you what it's like to knit. Now, I don't really know how to knit. <laughs> I get that from but, my wife, sorry. She knits but excessively. in this particular case, by me forcing you to knit, you would learn a little bit either about the frustration or some of the terms or some of the steps and the processes involved. Doesn't mean I want you to take up knitting, but if I said to you, I need you to draw me up a plan to help me, a pattern or something like that, you'd have a much better idea how to build for that particular event. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to have that. It's not, it's, as Ed pointed out earlier, there is the dream, <laughs> and then there's the reality. And you can't always get that. And it can get really, really, really frustrating. The, there's but, all kinds of agendas yeah. on the, and, and politics, as I said, on the line. The bigger the organization, the more complicated these processes become. Um, and this is where you start having to, <laughs> having to delegate tasks to people or allocate, rather, a particular role to somebody and say, you, you for example, Scrum Master didn't even exist. And a Scrum Master is a process-driven role, a business-driven role. Mm. Go and on, Josie. I can say so you're funny. dying. I, I am dying here because what you've just said reiterates right back to last week's show where we had Sam here, where Sam was talking about uh, the number model. You know, the whole concept of how many numbers and people you can actually have to have sort of realistic engagement in order to accomplish tasks. And it kind of cuts right back to that whole process. I mean, when you start getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you start having teams. Like, for example, my husband currently works for a company in a team office that's a team office. It's it's sort of a backup office. If something happens to another office, everyone shoots off to that office. There's sort of a, a, a recovery. recovery. Yeah, they're yeah. a DR area. But that's they still do work-related processes there. But they have teams that they work with across the world. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that, that is where some of your weaknesses can, that, that's, that's where your weaknesses can creep in with, uh, as you become bigger is that you have those, you have those teams and you have that siloing and they're great at that thing that they do. But when it comes to having to, and like I shoot back to the whole service delivery to an end user base, when you're essentially supporting, and when you're developing, when you're developing a system, that is being delivered to a client, you are supporting a service to a client, whether you are 
way at the start of that support process or you're the person at the front end picking up the phone and they're going, fuck, this isn't working, make it work now. Um, you're, still, you're still in that support cycle. Um, and we're, and you might be an a support team that deal with one thing, might be great at that one thing, but they don't have visibility, good communication or good process, then, or, or even an understanding of what happens to the end user then they don't necessarily understand. A good example in your husband's case, Josie, would be something like a great thing that a large business in the UK and throughout the world run on is email and Excel macros. All the time, anywhere you go, any large enterprise organization, Excel macros. Um, these user-driven technologies, these are the sort of, these are a great example of the sort of code base that gets developed by end users or, or developers on the fly who someone goes, I need this to work right now. Yep, fine, 10 minutes. This go. is, this That's is. Process. And then someone, say a team, say a DR driven team, if you're developing a DR process, don't have any visibility of that because it's not being supported properly. And then come to a DR solution. DR what that doesn't work, make it work, make it work. And your husband is just sitting there going, I make what work. You, you... Go ahead, Chris. I've I've worked uh, in a few places where they've had uh, existing DR scenarios, and I've had to deploy to DR servers and uh, backup places and do configuration. There's not one of them, and and there must be five or six of my major clients. Not one of them have got a reliable DR scenario. Only one of them, out of all of them that I've worked with, have actually done actually do tests and figure out if if a DR scenario is going to work. You know. I, I just going to interrupt here and just say, I'm going to leave you with this story before we hit RTFM because I want RTFMs from everybody this week because I have <laughs> one. But um, there is an example of a case, I won't mention companies, where they have a really solid DR plan. Management needed to go away for meetings. All internet dropped. Everyone just went quiet. The entire branch just disappeared off the company network. And it was only later in the day when the company was like, what happened? We've not heard anything. No one's picking up phones because obviously the integrated phone systems, nothing. And finally, they got a hold of the people who were um, at this particular branch and they went, oh yeah, the internet's down. The manager's like, you have a DR plan. Did you not implement it? Oh no, didn't, uh. didn't we just didn't think you weren't here to tell us to, and I'm just sitting there going, internet down these days, <laughs> like, they have that is a disaster. Just implement the recovery plan when something happens. So, all right, we could go on forever, as is evidenced. However, we're going to get to the part of the show called RTFM. I feel RTFM, like the whole show's been RTFM this week. It, it's been slightly RTFM. Absolutely. <laughs> we are talking about support, that's kind of the point. <laughs> uh, yeah, RTFM for us is where we get to just quickly say something about something that is frustrating us either in the dev world or just in IT in general. Just something, just a little way to sort of stress how we're feeling. And I'm hearing an echo of myself. How cool is that? Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, do you have an RTFM for us today, Patrick? Uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's sort of business game dev related. Um, the RTFM is the glowing and gorgeous uh, train wreck that's Fallout 76. 
for those of you who are not sitting in, in gaming or game development, um, there used to be, long time ago, there used to be a great gaming series, a great role-playing series with amazing story and characters. And then they kept making the games, the version 3, expand, standalone expansion, they were all great. And then Fallout 4 came out and it was kind of meh. And then Fallout, uh, Fallout 76 now is coming. And essentially, you can literally see all of the talented developers left Project Ego. And now they're trying to drag a steaming pile of shit out of the door. The cherry on top is uh, the company released uh, a memo, sort of, a letter to fans. Hey, by the way, this is going to be a steaming pile of shit. Deal with it. Just like the entire situation is so abstract and just like, how could this happen? Uh, I, I, I'm not interested in it because it's online only, so I haven't really been following it. Yeah. yeah. And there was me thinking you were going to have something very specific. I, I honestly thought that you, I thought, you know, I didn't think you were going to crap over the entire game. I thought you were specifically going to be, <laughs> this is, here, here's an example of, um, so I'm, I'm not sure how up to date on the current problems of Fallout 76 you are, but um, recently, as in, within, in the last 24 hours or so, um, it's come to light that the current Fallout 76 beta, um, it looks like Fallout 76 ties its player speed to the frame rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tied so entire yeah, physics not... engine to frame rate. It's not which quick is just... too. <laughs> uh... So yeah, yeah. So I mean... if you so if you go so if you enter oh. local any files and chain and unlock the frame rate, then yeah. you can literally move faster than someone else. And it works on like, if, if I would Daniel. have to start listing every single concrete problem I have with Fallout seventy six, we would need another one hour. I just assumed you were gonna go through the latest one that has hit YouTube, that was yeah. all. Um Oh, well, th there, that is one heck of an RTFM. And hello, Daniel Effie, Mary, if I am saying it right. If I get your name wrong at any point, I do apologize. And welcome. Uh, do you have an RTFM, Chris? My RTFM this week, um, it's not anything to do with development. I'm currently going through a, a, a very arduous warranty claim process with my car, and I... It actually kind of relates to the subject today because it's all about complaints. For the love of God, whoever you are, if you run a company, have a clear complaints process in place. Because at some point, no matter how good you are, and the, this particular car manufacturer is is uh, well renowned for good service, good uh, good everything basically. But it's going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. And when it doesn't, it's so frustrating being passed from pillar to post. And oh, I just process, man, process. Yeah, I cannot, I cannot <laughs> explain how difficult it's been. I've, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into a great amount of detail because we're nearly out of time. But essentially, yeah. they they started off saying, right, this this issue is going to cost you a thousand pounds. The next day, oh no, within an hour, it's actually five hundred pounds. Oh no, no, it's three hundred eighty-seven pounds. Oh now it's one hundred forty-four pounds. Oh, we'll do it for nothing. And it, it, took, it took me an entire week to get to that point and it's it's not just that it's there's just a whole oh, it's it's the actual process the company's been great at the end of the day it's just the actual process and the, and the things that we've gone through 
I'm going to shut up now because I could go into a lot of detail and I'm. <laughs> really yeah, too... I, feel like a, I feel like you need to document a rant on that, Chris. I've already. I, I've yes. wrote, I, this is one of them problems that you have had. Um, it's been going on for two years, a warranty claim that's been going on for two years. Finally, I found out there's a bit of incompetence going on um, and I've. I, I, I couldn't escalate it. Nobody would give, let me speak to anybody above service desk people. And I was just, oh, wow. th there was absolutely nothing I could do. And, and even going to head office, I just kept getting bounced back and forth. And anyway, it's hopefully it's sorted now, but I'm I'm still going to have well, stern words. Throwing out here, uh, Scott Ost says, managers have to enforce process. People enjoy structure. And it's true. Um, as much as we may be a little bit lovers of chaos and things like that, having clear paths to follow for a particular task or purpose is very helpful. Yeah, unless, unless it's like completely that. pointless, in which case you just email their manager yeah. or their manager's manager. That's always good. Mm. Uh, well, I've actually, I, actually, I was very lucky in the, yesterday. I, uh, yes, yesterday, I'll go to a, a networking meeting and one of the people who, who attends the one I do used mm -hmm. to work for the group um, and he knew all the names of all the high ups so, oh dear. so I started dropping them in emails and I think that's what's probably made people move <laughs> a little bit with it <laughs> but uh, yeah it, there's a and lot more to it than I've, I've said it is what it is <laughs> what about you uh, do you have any little rant or anything that just might be sitting there that you might want to just spitball Ooh, um, a recent RTFM that is yeah, okay. Let's stick it let's stick with gaming, seeing as how we had a gaming start to that, shall we? So um a recent RTFM that has now resolved itself nicely that I will not get into details about because I don't know if I'm allowed to. Uh I'll just say C D Project Red. Oh, yeah. there you are see... some stories that Pat... I know that I cannot say. Pat's on... got a lot of uh, a lot of opinions on these these guys. I, I come from the point where I thought they were I thought they did a, a brilliant job of the Witcher and I thought there was a particularly um they've got a particularly good fan service uh, but I don't know much about the politics other than that I'm just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave that there anyone who anyone who anyone who who reads gaming news will understand <laughs> what I'm going on about but I will uh, I'll leave it as it is because I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to actually say at this point anyway <laughs> Yeah, I guess for me, my RTFM is um, <clears throat> if you are going to tell someone to not update a security set, like, like patch a security <laughs> issue or anything else along those lines, do me a bloody favor and offer recommendations. Don't just tell people don't update. Don't patch for security problems. Don't be that idiot. Don't be that company. Oh, Ah, I'm starting to see the red again. Go for it. Go for uh, it. No, that's just this, it. This is this, why this... I recently moved to uh, my own digital. I'm using DigitalOcean now for for my uh, servers because my hosts couldn't do security updates, couldn't release new patches, couldn't, and and they just well, weren't see... up to speed enough. There, this goes back to the whole concept of what it is you have time to take care of and handle, which is why we have things like managed services, which is why certain things might be outsourced. That is the nature of the development world. In my particular case, I am helping a client and I got brought in because they had been, their site had been compromised. So I came in, took care of that, not a problem. And I'm like, well, we now need to patch. Any patch we do returned an error. So I'm like, I need to check the logs. There are no logs. 
host company doesn't log. <clears throat> oh, oh, you could ask for logs. You could, you could, but you'd have to wait 24 hours for them to be turned on. After they're turned on, they're only available for seven days and it only runs for seven days. You cannot have logging beyond that. And then I'm like, but this is standard fare. And their reaction is, well, then just don't update it. Quote, just don't update. I'm like, it's a security patch. Well, it's a problem with the hosting solution. I need the logs. Well, I guess we could get, I'm like, <laughs> this sort of, this sort of, I, I'm gonna give you a, a briefer so you can calm down a bit, Josie, because this, this sort of thing. No, no. Just, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw the time. Sorry. I, I see red when I start yeah. talking about this subject and I'm like, I, I think we actually might need to progress and move on. Um, okay. Ed, mm -hmm. you are awesome. You will be coming back for us to talk about other things. Yes. Oh yes, yeah. sorry. I thought I, I, I thought that was, was an actual here. physical, well, physical, verbal question for you. I, I kind of looking I for things. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the audible inflection. I just assumed that was a statement rather than I'm used to you just telling me what. Yeah, you're usually Josie just tells people what's going on. To, to be to be fair, that was a very enthusiastic head nod. So, well, yes, but at the same time, podcasting wise, people who are listening to us on a podcast wouldn't know that he's nodding his head in a very strong manner. Uh, although one of I actually. Three I, of my clients are now on Pink Sparkly with uh, plans with me. I, I have some clients who've requested that I term one of my packages the Pink Sparkly Whip, which is part of project management and things like that, some of the things that I do. And so I have three clients now on Pink Sparkly Whip plans. Why they want them to be called Pink Sparkly Whip, I don't know, but it's how I got their business, so I'll just invoice that. That's going to be wonderful when you have to explain that to the accountant. Mm. Oh, my accountant thinks it's hysterical. But my accountant is Ballin, and he also sends me cat pictures. Um, so here we go. We're at the end of our 3.0 show, which is all about the symbiotic relationship between support and development. And we're documentation not included. We're here every Thursday at 7 p.m. If you type, and if I did this right, because I haven't had time to do everything else, uh, exclamation point, I keep wanting to say hashtag or bang. I'll just go with bang. If you type bang list, you can get a list of some of the things that you can get commands for, including access to our GitHub repo if you want to get involved. Um, we have um, a Discord. Come say hi, hang out if you want. We have Twitter. You can follow us over there on that little place. And we have a fantastic website, dnistream.live, which is being developed by the team. Woo! And if you are familiar with our show, which some of you have been because you've been with us from the beginning, you may have noticed that at the very start of the show, we dropped something new. Oh, yeah. A brand new intro trailer thingy, my bob, that was created by Patrick and by Chris. Chris did the sound design on that. Patrick did the animation. And Firemain Studio, who was responsible for our gorgeous logo, did the assets of those gorgeous butterflies and the folders and all that other stuff. So massive thank you to everybody involved there. If you think you have what it takes to sit at the table here and debate with us ideas and concepts, or you have something fun you want to talk about, you can get in touch with us with exclamation point, be a guest. We'd like to hear from you. That's a new Come one, debate. isn't it? It is. Very fancy. Very fancy. It absolutely is. A massive, massive thank you to all of you guys. And for those of you who I know are currently pounding the Python trail right now, because someone is hardcore Python developing at this moment in time. My hat goes off to you. Good luck to you. I know what you're doing, and it is not easy. 
<laughs> <laughs> so does anyone have anything else you want to say before we end this fantastic 3.0 episode? Next week, I'm still nailing down the guests because their schedules are moving around a lot. So next week, don't worry, we'll have somebody. <laughs> I just can't say who, like I normally do. <laughs> I just want to say thanks to Ed. Thank you very much for coming along. Nice to see hey, you again. Yeah. Not a problem, dude. Thank you very much for yeah, having okay. me here. And But I'm a bit disappointed that you threw in cat pictures at the last minute and there are no cat pictures now. Yeah. That well, I can't show you my correspondence with my accountant. I'm sorry. <laughs> But so, it, if you go on a hey, company's house, look a look a company up, then you'll you'll there's cat pictures in the uh, reports there. Do I need to look for some sort of pink sparkly whip? Yeah, uh... you could link for pink sparkly whip, but it doesn't quite work. And hi, Anvina. Um, and we had uh, Talupate join us, and Daniel, and Amskins, and everybody, and those of you who are lurk watching as well. And for those of you who listen to us in the future, don't forget to check out all of our other episodes. And if you can join us live, please do because you can give us feedback and comments, and we'll bring you up. So, other than that, thanks for showing. Yeah, thanks to everyone in chat. It's been a very active chat today. Sorry we haven't read too much out, but these things happen. We get talking, and uh, and it's uh, keep doing it. You never know; you might write something and <laughs> that's very relevant when we're talking. Yep, and no, also, like chat, it's just that we're useless. This beard, this fantastic, gorgeous beard, was sent to me by Tulipe. Oh. Because he knew I was jealous of your amazing development prowess. Apparently, the longer your beard, the better the developer you are. So I think this makes me and Chris slightly equal. That's why I'm support. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, why and... I'm half artist. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> right. And on that note, it is Josie, Chris, Patrick, Ed saying... Thank you so much for showing up and we'll see you next bye -bye. week. Bye-bye. Later, guys. Bye-bye.